Over these uh, past uh, two weeks, we've celebrated uh, something of the great foundation of prayer. Discovering that we've built uh, our prayer lives, more than likely, if you're the average kind of Christian, more than likely you've built your prayer life on the wrong kind of foundation. And uh, I've done that, we've, we, we've all done that, and we've fostered it among us turning prayer into something it was never intended to be, and then complaining that uh, it doesn't work. Uh, So we're trying to reorientate ourselves, and uh, it's not just going to take a few sermons, it's going to take the discipline of our hearts and our minds to think differently, to work differently, to react differently, to seek to respond in a way that the Bible is teaching us. Paul alerted us to all of this when he talked about, you may remember on the first week, uh, if you've missed them, you want to catch up, you can get them online, get them at the back of the church. There's a, a leaflet as you go out on the door which tells us, tells you where we've been these last two weeks and where we're going. Uh, pick that up, there's readings and all that, so take the information as you go if this is all brand new to you. So on the first week, prayer and petitions. And we notice that most, if not all of our prayer, is petitions. So if Paul talks about prayer and petitions, uh, we know what petitions is, but what the dickens is the prayer. And we've been trying to unpack what Paul might mean prayer to be, out of which can come our petitions. And uh, our petitions to God, the things that we're asking for, are right and proper, but certainly not the whole uh, thing. And then uh, last week and uh, the week before, we we began to think, well, if prayer isn't about the things that I ask of God, what on earth is it? And we've used Jesus as our model. What does Jesus teach us? What does he say to us about prayer? And we saw in Jesus, both the first week and last week, that at the heart of Jesus' understanding of prayer was a great invitation. An invitation to enter into a relationship with God that is so close, so real, so intimate, that it's being caught up in the very heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That at the heart of our universe lies a relationship from which everything else has come. In the beginning, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything's come from that relationship. At the heart of the universe is God. And it's into that relationship that He invites us. I'm invited in to that relationship. Me with all my mistakes, all my failures, all my fears, all my misapprehensions, all my misunderstandings. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit say, say, come, you can come in to that. We saw a fortnight ago that that was Jesus' prayer. At the end of his life, this is what he was longing, he said, may they also be in us, I in them and you in me. That's the desire of Jesus, that we enter in, into the heart of God. And then last week, as we looked at the way Jesus responded, when the disciples said, look, you've got to teach us to pray like you do, Jesus says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. Now if Jesus 
was able to say to me that we have the same Father, then that's an invitation for me to join His family. And as we talked about last time, the great truth of the Christian faith is that we've been adopted into God's family. That's what lies at the heart of everything. He said to me, Simon, you can join my family. You're welcome to come in. That I can be co-heirs, as the Bible talks about it, with Christ. If I can pray with Jesus our Father, then I am a son like Jesus. Now that's not to say that I'm God. Manifestly I'm not. And neither are you. But we're allowed to come into that place of closeness and intimacy that lies at the heart of God. Now the religious people hated all of that stuff. Religious people do. Religious people want to make it all about do this and do that, try a little bit harder, make a bit more effort, and it will all work out in the end. Well, no, it won't. And the reason the religious people got so mad with Jesus is that Jesus was talking about something that was totally different. And religious people still get uptight when you talk about the real thing. Because it's much easier to talk about do's and don'ts. Come to church on a Sunday, come to the midweek prayer meeting, and Bob's your uncle, which will be a surprise to some of you. Religious people couldn't, and they so couldn't stand it with Jesus. In the end, they pinned him to a cross. Because what he was saying was either totally mad or delusional, or the most amazing, unbelievable offer anyone has ever, ever made. He said, you can come into the heart of God and live from that fullness just like I do. And they put him on a cross. Now, the words do not give anything like the depth of this reality. I cannot begin to convey to you the the total uh, wonder of this invitation. That you and I should be invited into that deepest place in God. But that's the deal. That's what it was about. That's what Jesus modelled and taught and expected us to experience. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they, that's you and me, also be in us. May they share in what we are sharing in. Prayer is our response to that invitation. Prayer is our response to that invitation. And like all invitations... There is an RSVP. And with all invitations, you need to make a decision about how you're going to respond. And there are different factors about whether you'll respond to an invitation. The first question you might ask yourself is, can I go? Can I get there? Is it a date and a time that works for us, for me? Do we have the money to get there? Do we have the logistical capability of being at that event at that time? And we might ask the same questions about this invitation to enter right into the heart of God. Can I go? Can I move from where I am right into the heart of God? The answer is yes. Not because of anything about you, but because the Bible says that when Christ died on the cross, he died to make it possible for you and I to move from where we are right in to the very heart of God. Christ died for sins, that's the stuff we've done wrong, that's the the, the mess that we've made. He died for that once and for all, all done, sorted out. Why? To bring us, to bring you and me back to God, back to himself. 
And it's only when we understand that I can go that I can even begin really to think about going. If you've got a Bible, uh, the ones in the pew just in front of you, just grab hold of it, would you, for a moment? Uh, It's page 10, uh, sorry, 1208, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, So important, these verses. Uh, I just want you to see them in there. I can't find a pew Bible, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It's on page 1208. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, confidence is something that when it comes to entering into the heart of God, we lack. And we lack it for good reason, because we know, or we're concerned, that we might not be good enough, we might not be accepted, there are things in our lives that are not compatible with entering into God's heart, and so we're nervous about it. But here, the writer says, I don't want you to live nervously, I want you to live confidently that it is possible for you to enter right into the heart of God because of the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. Now this is a mix in metaphors that had great meaning for the people. At the heart of the temple, right in the middle of the, of the Jewish temple, was the Holy of Holies, the place where God was. And nobody could go in there. Obviously, because uh, nobody's perfect enough to go into the place where God is. And there was this ginormous curtain that would almost be the height of this ceiling that dominated the whole of the temple. Massive curtain that stood in the way that was a huge reminder to anybody and everybody. You can't enter into God's heart because you're not right. You're not ready. You're too messed up. I'm too messed up. We, We can't go there. This huge curtain. When Jesus died... It says in Matthew's Gospel that that curtain, by itself, or because God chose to do it, ripped from top to bottom. A human being couldn't have done it. It was too high for anybody to rip that curtain from top to bottom. That was the whole point. It was a miraculous moment. Just as Jesus died, the curtain was ripped in two because his body on the cross was making it possible for us to go right in to the heart of God. Hallelujah. Right in. And so suddenly, there in the temple, imagine being a worshipper in the temple, this massive curtain gets ripped, and suddenly you can see into this place you've never been able to see in. You know in your life you're never allowed to go in there. And suddenly it's there. This massive visual invitation that what Jesus achieved on the cross was so that you can confidently walk into the presence of God. God wants us to have that confidence. Can I go? Yes, but only because of Him. Only because of what he's done. Only because of what he's made possible. Now, even though we might know that in our heads, and I'm talking to Christian people now, even though we might know that in our heads, we live as if it isn't quite true. The boldness with which we enter into God's presence is usually directly related to how good we think we've been. If I've had a jolly good week and I've done lots of good things for God, I can skip in the church on Sunday because God will be delighted to see me. But if there have been some dark moments, some twists and turns in my week, then I might need to creep in this week. As if your coming into God's presence depends in any way, shape or form on you. Wrong. All wrong. Totally wrong. It's got nothing, absolutely nothing to do with you. 
If it depended on you, the answer would always be no. You wouldn't have to weigh it up. It's just no. The Bible says that our good, that my good and yours, is so negligible compared to the enormous perfection and purity of God that any goodness in us counts for absolutely nothing when it comes to bargaining our way into God's heart. It counts for nothing. Nothing at all. In fact, there's this verse tucked away in the Old Testament that puts it like this. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away. Filthy rags. Bear with me for a moment. The language here is gross. And I'm going to explain it to you simply to reflect honestly what the Bible is saying. The word filthy rags is used menstrual rags that have no use but to be thrown away. Women, you might relate particularly to the way your periods make you feel sometimes. And, and, and why choose this image? There's, throw it away. It's waste. It's, it makes you feel horrible and unclean and, and dirty sometimes. I don't mean in a physical sense. But that's what the, that's what the writer was saying because he was writing in a Jewish culture where, where your period made you unclean. And if you sat down somewhere, no one else could sit there because it was an unclean place. And so in this context... These words are used that are shocking that we miss if we're not careful. So your sins are like filthy menstrual rags. No, that's not what it says. Look what it says. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Compared to the purity of heaven, even the things in me that I think are good, even my best bits are like dirty rags in the presence of God. Imagine going into God with your dirty rags and using it as a bargaining chip to get into his heart. That's how absurd it is when we think because we've been a little bit good this week, we somehow earn some favour with God. And that's the point. There's nothing, nothing about us, nothing about even our best bits that give us any clout when it comes to entering into God's heart. If you've ever washed the windows of your car, neither have I, but if you've ever washed the windows of your car and you're very pleased with the way they look and then the sun comes out one morning and you can't see a blimmin' thing because of the smudges and the streaks when the sun shines, you see even your good bits in the light of what they really are and it's not much cop, I'm afraid. We've got to move right away from any idea that because you've been a little bit good this week, somehow you can bounce into God's presence a little lighter in His Spirit. It makes, in this sense, no difference at all. At first, it's hard to face, isn't it? Instinctively, I want to think that if I try a bit harder, then God will be a little bit more pleased. Because that's the way human beings treat me. If I try a little bit harder, they sort of pat me on the head, well done, Simon, good boy. If I try a little bit, if I make a bit more effort, then somehow I'm earning more favour. It's so built into our psyche that it's hard to understand this. If only I just was a bit better. But on more mature reflection, maybe it's liberating. I don't live 
Don't need to live with the panic. Have I done enough this week to enter into God's heart? Answer, no. No, I haven't. So let's stop asking the question. Ask me next week. No, I haven't. The week, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. I can spend all my life asking that question, but I know the answer already. Have I? No. No. Liberating to know that it never depends on me. Because that would be disastrous. Because I'd never make it if it depended on me. I come boldly today, and I come boldly tomorrow, and I become boldly the next day, because Jesus has died for me. It's amazing, isn't it? It's absolutely astonishing. And because Jesus was raised to life, God said what Jesus did on the cross is enough once and for all, so I don't need to sweat any more. I come into His presence. I don't need to be uncertain about the welcome. This drives the religious people balmy. Because the religious people go, you can't speak like that or preach like that. If you tell people they can come just as they are, and it doesn't matter how they behave, they'll behave in all kinds of ways. And there were religious people around Paul's time and they wrote to him and they said to him, Paul, you can't keep talking about this grace because if grace is so good, if forgiveness is so real, it'll encourage people to sin a bit more so that they can receive a bit more forgiveness. You can see the argument, can't you? And so you could skip out of here today and go, whoa, I can do what I want this week because next week I'm coming into his presence because he died for me. All of that would be true. But do you know what that would reveal? that would reveal, in my opinion, that you'd never met Jesus. I don't know anyone who's looked into the eyes of the Son of God, dying on a cross, and goes, I'm going to skip out of here and do as I please. We betray ourselves in our attitude. I've never met Him. I don't know Him. Hey, you don't behave this week in a way that honours God, because if you don't, He won't accept you. You behave because you love Him. There's a big, big difference, isn't there? You get up and you live for His honour and glory tomorrow because you love Him with all your heart. Not because He says, do that, do the other, and if you don't, I'll whack you. So what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul says, hey, by no means. We died to sin. It's over. And we can live in it, any, and we can't live in it. Any, sorry, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So we've received this invitation and we're wearing, weighing it up. Can I go? Yes. Yes. The invitation into the heart of God is open for me. Can I go? Yes, because He died for me. The curtain was completely ripped in two. Anybody now can walk in. Anybody. That could be you this morning. That's anybody. Nobody was standing by the entrance to the Holy of Holies marking who went in. The curtain was gone. Anybody could walk in. That's you. Because Jesus has died for you. You can trust Him and walk in today. So you've been invited. Can you go? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You think, well, great. This is fantastic. We've got this invitation. We're all ready to go. And maybe you say that in your family. Do you get an invitation? Everyone says, yes, we can go. And then someone says, I've got nothing to wear. (gasps) It's usually the person in the family that has more clothes in their wardrobe than anyone else. I've got nothing to wear. It's usually a female. It's usually just anybody in the family that hasn't got anything to wear. I've got nothing to wear. It's a fantastic verse for you ladies in the Old Testament, yeah? 
It's in Isaiah. You want to write this down. If you write this verse down, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For He has clothed me with garments of salvation. You've got something to wear. You might think you haven't got any shoes, but if I came to your house, I'd find hundreds that you could wear. We've been invited, we can go, and we've got the gear. There's nothing worse than turning up to a party and not having the gear, is there? You feel a right plonker. We've got the gear. This garment, this robe that I can wear that so wraps around me that my sin is no longer there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't need to walk into the Holy of Holies thinking, who's going to spot that I'm in here? They can see how bad I've been. and say, you, don't, you can't be in here. I've got this garment to wear that's going to cover me in grace and forgiveness and mercy, that's going to wash my sins right away, a robe of righteousness that's pure and holy and sparkling. Slightly more upmarket than H&M. So you can go. But before you reply, you ask yourself a second question. Hey, do I want to? Do I want to? Do I want to? If drawing near to God is like living or driving with a police car behind us, as we talked about last week, you might not want to go. If going into God's presence is knocking the door and entering into your headmaster's study, with good reason, you might not want to go. If God is your father, and all you see and hear and feel is the way your human father treated you, you you might not want to go. Which is why discovering who God really is is so important. So important. The key is knowing what God is like. And when you begin to assess, can I go? Yes. Do I want to go? Then you need to know what God is like. And that's why what I shared with you last Sunday is so important. If you missed last Sunday, uh, on my blog I've put some, uh, it'll be on last Sunday's date. Find it there that helps us think about what God is like. What is this God who's in this holy place, who says, come into my heart. Hey, I I, I need to know what he's like before I'm willing to go. Uh, And spend some time, 50-odd verses in the Bible, that just help you think about what God is like. I'd really encourage you to spend some time thinking about that. The more we discover what the true Father is like, the more I feel like the psalmist. My soul's longing for you. I'm yearning for you. I long to know you, to be in your presence. However, there's another reason you might not want to go. You know what God is like. Hey, but you also know what you're like. You also know what you're like. And when Isaiah came into God's presence, he goes, woe is me, I'm ruined, I'm stuffed. Look at all this wrong stuff in my life. I've had it. It wasn't the truth, of, of course. But knowing what I'm like can keep me away. Just like a teenager that started to smoke and daren't tell his or her parents, he or she stays away for fear that the smoke on their breath would give them away. We're like that. We stay away with the stains, the smells of sin because we're afraid of what he might say if we come close. And that's where Christians are often found. Not close, but at a distance. 
They know they can enter in. They understand in theory the stuff about Jesus, but they're still thinking, if I try a bit harder, and they know they're not trying very hard. And they're still thinking, well, I'm not sure how God will respond because I'm not sure I know what He's like and I know what I'm like. It could all go terribly wrong. So there's this massive invitation. And even Christians are just sort of at a distance. I'm not sure I want to go in. And because of the religious stuff, all the religious people go, yeah, that's okay, you just stay where you are doing your thing, that'll be fine. And it misses the whole point. Jesus just invites us in. He says, come, come, our Father. Learn to pray, our Father. Come in, you in me, me in you, as I am in him and he is in me, that we might be in together. And so maybe this morning you've been a Christian for many years and you're still not sure where you are. If you didn't do it this last week, do it this week. Get on the blog. The second thing that was on the blog, um, uh, the second thing that was on the blog was all about uh, orphan heart and uh, and heart of sonship. That you can be a Christian for many years and still live a long way from your father. Check it out this week. Where am I? Is God inviting me over here and I'm still over here? What do we do? So get this, right? This is what I think happens with prayer and why it's so disappointing. God's over here, big heart, big heart, and he's saying, come. He's saying, I want you to be really close to me. And for whatever reason, maybe because we're not sure what God's like, maybe because we're all too well aware of what we're like, or maybe we haven't really understood that when he died, he really died for it, and we still think it's about, if only I was a little bit better. So for any of those reasons, we're over here, and then you go to church, uh, and the wally at the front says, you've got to pray. So you go, God, the only way to pray, if God's over there, is to shout at him from a distance. I need some help. I need you to sort out Aunt Mabel. I need some more money. I need a bit of a secure job. I need this, I need that. And you shout at him. You don't know him, so all you can do is shout at him. And that's how we live our prayer lives. And so, when I come to God tomorrow morning... It would be really challenging for me to think, well, what's the distance between me and God? That's too hard. I know, I'll get my list out again and I'll shout at him. And so I get my list out. I say, Lord, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. Now, these aren't bad things. These aren't necessary things that God doesn't want to do. But I start calling at him about my list. And it's a bit like one of my children coming to me after we've had a bit of a hoo-ha. Now, we're a Christian family, so we've never had a hoo-ha. So this is hypothetical. Okay? But we've had a hoo-ha. Imagine I've screamed at them and they've screamed at me. It's almost impossible to imagine I know. Okay, so there's this atmosphere in the house. I mean, how, how unlikely is that? Okay, atmosphere in the house. And one of my children, let's take one of the boys, because they're the younger ones, they come to me and they say, we want, we want, and they want something. But what does my heart do? My heart longs to give it to them. Because I'm their dad. My heart longs to give it to them. And and it it would be so easy for me to say, well, go on, here you are then. But there's another part of my heart that says, whatever you're asking, and however much I long to give it to you, hey, there's a bigger deal here, son. There's distance between us. So we're shouting at God, we're shouting at Him, come on, do this, do that, do the other, and God's over here and saying, hey, I'd probably really, I'd love to do all of that for you. I'd love to bless your family. I'd love to bless your job. I'd love to bless your health. I'd love to bless your relationships. I'd love to empower you, give you a greater sense of purpose. But hey, listen, there's this distance between us. Would you just come a little closer? Can you see? 
The Father's got such a bigger agenda than yours. It's not that what you're asking for is wrong. It's not that what you're asking for isn't important. But in the Father's heart, He's saying, would you come? Would you come a little closer? Sure, I'd love to give you those things, but first just come. And so with my boys, I want to deal with what's between us, get that out of the way, and will I then give them what they're asking? (laughs) Not necessarily, maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. But actually, at the moment they begin to step towards me, what will I do? Will I make it hard? (laughs) Gotta work a little bit harder. These are my boys. These are my boys. God's over here going, going look, you're my son. You're my, you're my daughter. Stuff your little agendas. Now, I don't, mean to, I don't mean to belittle what you're praying for. Hey, some of us are praying for massive stuff that's really important. And it's not that those things aren't important. It's just in the whole scheme of it, there is something even more important in the Father's heart. And he's saying, Come. And the worst thing we can do this year as we go on about prayer is to stay over here and our response be to shout to God a bit more. Perhaps if we shout a bit louder, he'll hear. Perhaps if I shout more often, he'll hear. Perhaps if I promise to, oh, be a bit better next week, he'll hear. He'll be impressed with that. I'll go to the Sunday evening service. And God's going, yeah? Yeah? And, and we get into this ridiculous stuff and God's just going, hey, just come. Just come. Discover what I'm like. I know what you're like, so don't worry about that. And look at Jesus. He sorted every single thing. And dying, literally, physically, and dying to know you. Dying to know you. And that's it. Now, I, we... You know, part of me, part of me wants to stop everything in this church, honestly. I've got closer to that than I've ever got. Some of you are looking a little nervous now. It'd be fantastic not to have to do all this stuff, wouldn't it? Hey, I would stop it for years if we made the journey, wouldn't you? What does this matter? What does all this stuff matter? Church meetings and prayer meetings and songs and all the admin stuff that has to go on, all the faffing around if we just stay over here. What's the point? What's the point of Sundays if we just stay over here? Do I think that if I come to this building, somehow I'm a little bit nearer and God will hear me? God says, give me a break. I'm the God of heaven and earth. I don't know where I am in my notes. It's just gone, isn't it? I haven't got a clue what's going on here this morning. But God just goes, hey, come close, man. So we'll leave that slide on for a while because I've no idea what the next slide is. Tell you the truth. Do you see what, where I'm, see what I'm saying? What does it matter if we don't get here? Because Jesus... Every single thing that Jesus did came out of being here. You can try living like Jesus over there. It'll make you miserable. It'll make you disappointed. It'll make you disillusioned. So you'll try a little bit harder. That'll make you bitter. And that'll make you angry. And we wonder why there's so much angst in the church. He says, come. Would you come? I'd love you to come. I've died for you to come. Our 
Father, our Father. And so the disciples, the disciples knew they had to learn something. And so they said to Jesus, you've got to teach us. You've got to teach us to pray like you. And what they were saying, essentially, is having watched the Jesus, what's the power with which he ministered, what's the, the, the beauty of his word, single word that would sum up a situation, a short story that would, that would get beneath all the rubbish and get to the heart of the matter. They watched him and they saw how, he, how it just came out of him knowing his father's teach us to pray. And it's no, no accident that Jesus says, well, yeah, you've got to learn our father. Our father. Not get to know my father, no, get to know our, our Father who fills the heavens. And so when the disciples saw all that, they began a journey. Uh, and this is an invitation for you to begin a journey. You see the disciples in that story, uh, in fact, maybe, oh, here we go, this is good. Um, the disciples uh, messed up. They prayed a prayer and it didn't get answered. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? I asked your disciples, said the Father, to drive out the Spirit, but they could not do it. Ha! It's fantastic, isn't it? Because that's like me. Have you ever prayed a prayer and nothing happened? Just me then? Let me tell you how it felt for me. It felt really annoying. Yeah, it was really, really annoying to pray and nothing to happen. You know, now, um, that's what happened to them. And when I read that, I go, this is fantastic. Here are these 12 guys who went out and changed the world in the power of Jesus. True or not? True. Okay? And they're right where I am just now. Sometimes praying prayers and nothing happens. And what does that do? That gives me incredible hope. Because if I am a disciple like them, maybe I can learn like they learned so that one day I might be like them, which will take me nearer to being like Jesus. Amen? And so I'm inspired by this story where they prayed and it didn't work. Hey, they must have been well embarrassed. Hey, we're Jesus men. Bring that boy over here. We'll sort him out. Spirit, get out in the name of Jesus. And the Spirit speaks back to them, just laughs at them. What are we going to do now? A crowd gathers round. And they start going, these disciples, they, they can't do what he's doing. And, and, and they're embarrassed. They're feeling awkward. They're frustrated. They're angry. So what do they do? Do they decide that, well, prayer doesn't work, it only works for Jesus? Do they wallow in some kind of self-pity? No. As soon as they get Jesus by themselves, they say to him, essentially, why didn't it work? They failed at prayer, but were eager to learn. So after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we do that? What, what was it that we needed to unlock what was it that we needed to understand? What was it about our relationship with the Father that meant when we tried to address this evil spirit, we did not have the power we should have had? Now, the average Christian goes, well, it must have been God's fault. Why didn't God do it? As if somehow God was caught off guard. As if somehow God wasn't quite powerful enough. As if somehow the moment had slipped God's attention. It's not fair, he does it for them. Why didn't he do it for me? They immediately take responsibility. Why could we not do this? Why when the challenge of prayer that was before us, uh, uh, why when we took it on, did we not succeed? Why did this mountain stay where it is when Jesus said you can send mountains into the sea? Why? What did we do wrong? Why didn't we get it right? That's where I am. 
and I want to invite you to join me. And it's wonderfully liberating. When I first got on a bike, I couldn't ride it. Did that mean that riding a bike is impossible? Or that riding any two-wheeled machine just doesn't work? No. All it meant was that I had to learn. We have the tremendous joy and challenge of raising four children that are at very different ages, and we love it. But it's hard when children older than you in the family can do things that you can't. So the little one goes, why can't I do that? And we might spend a lot of time, because he'll say, I'll never do that again, or I'll never be able to do that. And like in your family, you spend a lot of time explaining the only reason they can do it is they learnt to do it. There was a day when they were just like you. And you will learn like they learned. Hey, the disciples were just like us. And we will learn like they learnt. And if I'm learning, then I can fail. And if I'm learning, I will fail. That's a bit easier, isn't it? Say, I might pray this week and it might not work. I could get angry with God. I could decide that prayer doesn't work. I could decide that God didn't do it because he didn't love me as much as he loved somebody else. I could decide that um, it didn't work because, oh, we live in such a hard area. Or this is such a difficult situation. Or I could go, hey, I'm learning to pray. I'm learning to pray. And if I'm learning, I will fail. If I'm learning, I will make mistakes. If I'm learning, I won't always get the yes that I think in my arrogance God should say. I'm learning. Some of you will remember the first time you drove a car. Not everything was commendable about that moment. You could have decided, that's it, cars don't work. You could have decided, that's it, I can't drive. Or you could have accepted that when you press the accelerator for your emergency stop, that you still had something to learn. Sometimes we press the accelerator in prayer when we should have pressed the brake. And we could walk away and say, I can't do this. Or we could say, ah, I've just got some more to learn. I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey. The mark of a disciple is not someone who gets all their prayers answered, because these guys didn't, hallelujah. But someone who's still willing to learn willing to learn. Now, if, last night was fantastic, by the way, and the best thing about last night was the preacher, last night, and some of the guys know what I'm going to say, he'd say, I'm just finishing. What he meant by that, it would buy him another five minutes. So we were on a strict time scale last night, so I knew the times he had to finish, okay? So he gets to the time he has to finish, and he acts like he's clueless about that particular time. But he doesn't, he knows. But he goes, um, oh, I've got a few more minutes, haven't I? Yes. So it buys him a few more minutes. Then when, he get, when he's had his extra few minutes, he then goes, he then goes um, so I'll just end with this. And it was as if simply saying that phrase got him another five minutes. And he preached for another five minutes. And then he would say, now lastly, and that brought him another five minutes. And it was just fantastic. <laughs> and so he preached for 15 minutes longer than he did. But you know, no one gave a monkey's really because it was fantastic. And the presence of God was here. Uh, and why am I saying that? Because I'm conscious of the time. Um, but I've just bought myself another 25 minutes by that little, <laughs> by that little sort of interlude. So we're, we're good to go. And you're having lunch here anyway, so nothing's going to burn, and it's all, it's all sorted, isn't it? So, if 
if I want to be a disciple, and, and, and the main thing, the first thing about prayer is God saying, you've got to come close, then the first thing I have to learn is how to come close. I want to ask you, are you willing to come close? That's where it starts. You've got to be willing. And we'll get to a slide that says that in a minute. You've got to be willing. You've got to be willing. Are you willing? You know, just answer it in your heart. Because actually Christians are not always that willing to get close to God. They're satisfied with where they are. They're satisfied with the religious stuff. And God's still saying, come closer. Now, if I'm going to learn to pray, I've got to learn. Listening to what Jesus said, our Father, I've got to learn that. The disciples had to learn that. It was a journey for them. Am I willing to learn to move close to God? How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks. This is God's heart to gather us up. Are we willing for God to gather us up? If someone likes you, you have the choice to respond or not. And God's heart says, I want to gather you up. And you might say, oh, I'll read my Bible a bit more. I'm going to pray a bit more. Because that's easier than allowing yourself to be drawn close to the Father heart of God. And so we settled for something way less than what was ever the plan. Are you willing? So be willing. And secondly, and lastly, and this is lastly, be loving. Be loving. You see, the kind of relationship that God wants with us is intimate and close, and you can't beat about the bush or look at it any other way. As I am in you and you are in me, and God is love. So, so, so take love in its purest form. That's what's expressed in the heart of God. And it's into that that you and I are called. So we need to respond in love towards him. The first way of coming into the prayer of the heart is by simple love. Love is the response of the heart to the overwhelming goodness of God. So come in simply and speak to him in unvarnished honesty. Real prayer is not about gritting our teeth, but about falling in love. When was the last time you told God that you loved him? If you find that hard, that tells a story. If you've never done that, that tells a story. If you won't say that to God, it's too uncomfortable, too awkward, I'm, I'm too embarrassed, that tells a story. And for some of us, that highlights where we need to start in our journey. Because we'd rather keep our distance. We'd rather stay and shout a little bit at him than get too close. Because to get close is to love. Ask God to kindle a fire of love within you. And he will. Kindle a flame, we'll sing in a moment, of sacred love on the altar of our hearts. So give time to speaking words of love to the Father. It may feel strange and unnatural at first, for you're not used to loving God. However, in time, you'll find that love language is perfectly natural to those who are in love. And don't restrict it to your quiet time. Throughout the day, communicate with God. Tell Him that you love Him. In the ordinariness of life, work, as Thomas Kelly puts it, on two uh, different levels. As throughout the day, you tell God that you love Him. There is a way of ordering our mental life on mission, but out of the depths of His heart, to tell God how much He loves Him.
Hey, none of this is easy. And it's much easier to go back to your list. Much easier. Much easier. And when you're learning something, you have to overemphasize it, don't you? In order to get it. If you want to learn to ride your bike, you've got to do it lots in a short period of time. Otherwise, you do it once, and then when you get back to it a few months later, it's like you've never done the first one. And it's like that. If we're going to learn, then I've got to learn to come close. So maybe I've got to overemphasize that for a while. Maybe in my quiet time, I've got to just put away all my lists. Lord, I'm here. And I'm drawing near to you. And allow him to gather you up in his arms. You might want to read the psalm that's on the reading plan and then just sit and invite him to do that. Or we can keep going in the same old way. Insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Don't do the same thing this year and expect something different because this is our year of learning to pray. We need to do something different to allow God to gather us. We need to begin to walk towards him. Father, I'm coming. I'm a little scared because I know what I think I know what you're like, but I'm not sure if that will be true. I know that you know what I'm like and I can't believe that you'll really welcome me just as I am and not give me a hard time about the things that I know that you know that I know, but I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. And I invite you to put your trust in Jesus who died on the cross and just come into his presence. The disciples turned out to be great prayers. It says everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. But it began by learning to pray, our Father. Let's pray. Just going to invite you in your mind's eye to think about what I've been saying about uh, coming into God's presence. Hey, your good stuff, the stuff that you might be proud of before God, is just like dirty rags. It's nothing. You haven't got any bargaining power. It doesn't matter what you've done this week, whether it be good or bad, you're not in a better or worse place than the person next to you. We're all in the same boat. Our goodness so negligible that we can't argue our way or, or, or uh, bribe our way in at all. The Bible says that Jesus died to bring us to God. You can enter into the Father's heart today. No ifs, no buts, just as you are. He loves you that much. He'll give you a robe to wear that cleanses you and forgives you and frees you from your sin. And you can enter in. The Bible calls that grace. The ability to come into his presence even though you've done nothing to deserve it. We're going to start to sing only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. And you might have been a Christian 20 years or 20 minutes. You might want to become a Christian today. As we start to sing, I'm going to invite you to stand just as we're singing. And it's just a sign. I'm taking this seriously. 2010, I want to come into the Father's heart. I'm coming. I'm putting my religious stuff away. I'm putting my lists away. I'm putting my wrong thoughts and attitudes away. And it's only grace and I'm coming. Only by grace can we enter.